0: Welcome back to FYI, the four-year institution podcast presented by Mongoose. I'm your host, Gil Rogers, and today we'll listen into a conversation I recently had with Caitlin Rennie-Jancy, who is the chief academic officer for Science Interactive. Science Interactive recently published the annual lab report for online science education with amazing insights comparing perspectives from students enrolled in online science education courses, as well as faculty members who are presenting them let's listen in on our conversation. Hi, Kate. How are you?
1: I am great. How are you doing, Gil?
0: Good. Thanks for hopping on and joining us. You're a jet setter right now. So you've been all over the place, haven't you?
1: All over. I just got back from Minneapolis and I'm heading to Louisiana next week. So getting to see a little bit of everywhere lately.
0: Louisiana is one of those places I have not been to in a very long time. I have
1: never been. So I'm very excited.
0: Awesome. Well, I enjoy that. I it's funny because like there's you know, there's certain conference cities that you go to mm-hmm. a lot and you're like, oh, you you start off when for everyone who's you know worked in the higher ed space and gone to a bunch of conferences or whatnot, you start off and every place is glamorous and amazing because you've never been to these places before. And then after a while, like for me, Orlando was one of those ones where it was like, I'm going to a conference in Orlando. It's gonna be great. And then eventually it's like, Well, how many times can I go to a, a reception at Disney that Without kids and whatnot, or maybe you benefit from not having kids there because you're not dealing <laughs> with kids. But you get kind of kind oh of yeah, the same path. Vegas is another one of those. Yeah, oh areas. I bet. Yeah, like, yeah. Yep. First time I went to Vegas. Oh my gosh, I'm going to Vegas. And now it's like, yeah, I don't like going to conferences in Vegas. Sorry for people who might work <laughs> in Vegas. What's your so before we even top into the topic of DuJour, what's your favorite conference city that you've been to?
1: That I've been to. I always love getting down to Washington, D.C. I love to do the, the trails there, see all the sites. I don't go there very often. So it's always, you get a nice little hike in, you see the sites and you get to learn a whole bunch of stuff at whatever conference you're at. So yeah. Washington, D.C. is a favorite of mine.
0: That's a very good one. Washington, D.C. is one of those ones. I live in Maine and so I could date trip oh, to yep. D.C., which is, which <laughs> I've done that once when I, w- I visited a campus. Outside of DC. I don't don't recommend day tripping places from the Northeast, but you can do it. What is your place you haven't been that you'd love to check out?
1: Oh boy. I have actually. US
0: based location. I'm in
1: Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it in France. If if you you want to send me to Europe, I'm not going to stop you. But interestingly enough, you bring up Vegas. I have never been outside the airport in Las Vegas. (laughs) That would be very new and unique for me.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. For me, there's a time limit with Vegas (laughs) because. You can't be there for any more than three days. Otherwise, you start seeing things that you don't want to see and you start going outside during the day. And it's a whole thing. I would say underrated conference city for everyone who's listening is Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. Interesting. It's not like the best conference city in the world, but it's actually a pretty good. I I went to a conference there once. I found a arcade bar where... They have, you go upstairs and they have all these like old school arcade games that are just unlimited free play oh, You're either nice. drinking beer or eating a pizza, right? <laughs> so one thing I'm good at at conferences is eating pizza and drinking beer, right? And so spent a lot of time there with a colleague. There's something that's interesting about when you play a video game, though, especially like an arcade game, when you don't run out of lives. We beat the X-Men video game. We beat the Ninja Turtle video game. Like these Oh are all
1: my gosh. You it. run out
0: of quarters, and you go home, right? And so this, it was interesting, like, oh yeah, I'll just keep hitting fight until I get to the end of the game. Why not? Right, so. With
1: an end? What? <laughs> yeah,
0: so I digress. We could tell we're, we're going sideways. For our listeners, Kate, I would love for you to give us a little bit about your background, spirit of full disclosure for everyone. I serve as a marketing advisor for Science Interactive Group. And so I I have firsthand visibility into this amazing research study that has just been released that Kate's going to talk a little about today and share some insights on. And when I first saw the outcomes, I'm like, we got to get somebody on the pod. And we're like, we're going to get the best ones we brought Kate on, right? So I I would love for you to kind of and. For, let's start with you. What's yeah. your, your background, your role as Science Interactive, how you got there, why you do what you do? Then we'll, we'll just kind of go from there.
1: Yeah. I come from a, a very academic background. I did uh, my undergraduate work at Marist College. I got a, a bachelor's in biochemistry. I've always had a strong pull towards the sciences, really, since ninth grade. It's a very formative experience with basically a teacher who. If you've ever read the Magic School Bus books, she was the real-life Ms. Frizzle and just sort of grew that passion for science that led me to pursue a biochemistry degree. And from there, I went to the University of Iowa and got a PhD in pharmacology. Most folks from there traverse an academic track or pursue research. I knew research wasn't for me. I have always really loved education. I come from a family of educators. My mom's a teacher. Two of my siblings are teachers. So I knew I wanted to be somewhere in the realm of education long-term with my career. But I did quick stopover. I did a postdoc at the University of Iowa as well in the Department of Biochemistry. And from there, worked freelance for a while as an editor, worked with scientists who wanted to publish in U.S.-based journals who didn't necessarily speak English as a first language. So worked with them to bring their scientific papers up to where they needed to be. And then I found what was, at the time, eScience Labs. So I have been with eScience Labs and then Science Interactive since 2015. I've been here for eight years. I started off as one of our subject matter experts, so authoring curriculum within the biologies and the chemistries, and over the past eight years have grown into our curriculum development manager. And then today I am our chief academic officer, where I lead our strategic initiatives around curriculum, new developments, and new directions for where we can go with supporting Science labs and science courses that are offered online.
0: Awesome. And so last season we had Sasha Peterson, who's the CEO of Science Interactive Group, on, and the title of that episode was Thinking Outside the Lab. And he gave a a very great overview of Mm -hmm. of why institutions should be considering and incorporating online science education curriculum into their programs. Mm-hmm. For those who haven't listened digitally to that episode, what's the quick high level of what Science Interactive does for people who might not have heard of the company before?
1: Yeah, so if you've never heard of us, what Science Interactive does is we create hands-on laboratories for students who cannot come to campus for whatever reason, whether they're in a purely online program, whether they're pursuing a hybrid degree, whether partially on campus or partially remote we offer these students the opportunity to take their science labs from home. So what students will receive when they work with Science Interactive is they'll get a physical kit, That's filled with all the materials to do their chemistry, their biology, their A&P lab at home. So beakers, chemicals will send dissection specimens like fetal pigs and starfish, the menagerie, I guess. And that goes with a corresponding curriculum that we house in our cloud platform that includes all of the directions for students, all of the protocols for doing the experiments, as well as all of their testing assessments that go with the content. So it's really an all-in-one laboratory experience for students who are taking labs in a non-traditional environment where in the past, they would have typically had to be on campus to get that credit.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a lot of benefits to that that people might not know about. Obviously, there's the challenge from an enrollment perspective for students if they're taking an online lab and it's completely online if they're at a community college. Presumably, many four-year institutions don't take those for transfer credit, right? There's an access and an equity component to this as well, when we're talking about better supporting students and better supporting absolutely,
1: Absolutely, Yes, and, So much of it comes down to, when it comes to transferring, like you mentioned, having that laboratory component and demonstrating that the students have interacted with the materials. And so it's really an essential, no matter what modality on campus or online, yeah. that you're taking the course.
0: And then from an enrollment perspective, I think one of the examples Sasha made during his podcast, which for our podcast listeners, We'll put a link to that episode in the episode notes so you can get in this vicious cycle of listening to this podcast and listening to Sasha talk and then listening to everything that happened between these two conversations. It's, it's easier to just subscribe and listen every week, to be honest with you, just cheap it is. to subscribe to. The <laughs> but you know, when Sasha appeared on the episode, he was talking about how this can increase access to lab- grade materials. institutions who might not have lab space available. And, you know, I don't know any institutions that have $25 million laying around to just build a biology building for next semester when there's increasing demand. So There are ways that we have to think about how do we meet that demand when we don't have the resources to do it that rapidly.
1: Yep. Yes. So lab space is limited on campus, no matter what. You can always build additional space. But, you know, if you are capped at 30 students, there is such a desire for students today to be able to pursue STEM degrees because that's where the growth in careers is coming in. You hear in the news there's an impending nursing shortage, impending health associate shortages. We need those students to be enrolling in STEM courses. But that lab space and those labs caps can be a real, it it can stop that ability to increase enrollment, right, in its tracks. And so the ability to transition a lab online, even for campus-based students to expand those enrollments, really allows us to bring more students into STEM careers where we know that there are careers waiting for them and that they're really well-paying careers for students.
0: Absolutely.
2: Thoughtfully nurture applicants, personalize retention efforts, and exceed fundraising goals with our Cadence Engagement Platform's text messaging solutions. Designed exclusively for higher-ed by higher-ed professionals, Cadence helps you engage your audiences with the perfect balance of AI and personal connection. We leverage an intuitively designed interface and easy-to-use texting templates so you can have targeted conversations or scale up to expand your reach. Our powerful smart messaging can respond automatically, exactly how you would. And to measure progress, track your campaigns with unparalleled reports and analytics. Effectively meet your community where they are as we proudly feature an industry-leading 95% read rate within three minutes. It's never been easier to make every message count.
0: All right, so tell me about the annual lab report. For for those who have not read it, we'll put a link to the resources in the episode notes. It's on the Science Interactive website. But 1,600 students and instructors responded to this study, giving you and the readers, the insights into kind of this really cool back and forth comparison of what are students saying and thinking and what are faculty and instructors thinking. So, I love kind of how did this come about and where does it fit for you in in the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah. So as a company, we have really focused many of our efforts over the years on creating hands-on laboratory experiences that are really comparable to what students are working on on campus. But we also know that there are a number of other modalities that schools are using to approach their science courses online. You can do hands-on exclusively. You can do virtual or simulated labs only. So where students are going into a computer program that simulates a laboratory environment, sort of doing that point-and-click approach. You can also do a hybrid of those two, which is really where our niche has become since COVID, is really mixing the best of the hands-on labs and the virtual labs to really have a comprehensive experience that meets learning outcomes that are required for the course, while also ensuring that courses remain equitable in terms of access for students, in terms of costs, in terms of being able to get the materials to them. And so what we really wanted to dive into with this survey is understanding what students and faculty members are looking for in their online laboratory courses and really understanding what the challenges with bringing lab courses online are, how faculty are overcoming those challenges, and overall how students and faculty are perceiving their learning outcomes of their students or of, for themselves once they've completed these laboratory courses online. No one has really dug into, at this point, sort of outcomes and really understanding the broader environment of the online laboratory no matter the modality. And that's really what we wanted to get at in this survey is understanding where we are today in 2023, two years coming out of the true COVID emergency remote learning and getting back into true online distance education, where we stand today for the greater STEM environment and laboratory environment.
0: And I think that that's an interesting thing to think about from the life cycle of all of this. Obviously, there was online science education prior to COVID, right? Oh, absolutely, and then yeah. When COVID, yeah. COVID came and there was a spike because mm-hmm. everyone was scrambling, it needed to be done. I feel <laughs> like, unfortunately, there's the positive side effect of that is more access to opportunities. Mm-hmm. The negative side is the people who weren't doing it well or mm-hmm. didn't have the resources to do it well now have this kind of visceral reaction. Absolutely.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so definitely coming out and trying to address when you have to move online in such an emergency in a span of days to weeks, there's a very big difference between emergency remote education and true online distance learning where that content is really curated and developed with distance learners in mind and so trying to reach that audience who maybe had a very poor experience during covid and bringing them back to understand that there is a really great way to bring labs and there are, are many great ways to bring labs to your students online that isn't that you know we've got 3 days let's get this lab course up and running it's so important
0: <laughs> yeah well I, to take it back to the survey and how mm-hmm. it was structured i think it's you know you mentioned to get students back in that way but also to get faculty back on board in mm-hmm. that way, where There were a lot of fact we saw when I was working in the enrollment management side during COVID. There were institutions doing virtual events and virtual recruitment and marketing. And they similar themes where the institutions that set up and put the effort in do it differently than an in-person experience saw good results because Uh they, they developed it for the online modality versus the, you know, like I'll make it, it's akin to synchronous learning, right? Where I have to sit on Zoom because that's my replication mm-hmm. of the classroom experience as I'm sitting on Zoom and just like I would be sitting in a classroom. It's like, I saw that with my kids, right? My kids yeah. were in kindergarten and second grade at the time and the schools who had their kids having to sit at a computer all day when they're in elementary school yeah. things, versus that's, the asynchronous approach of yeah. you know, get the work done, turn it in, we get together and meet for certain things. That's how online should be to make mm-hmm. it effective.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that
0: one of the things I would like to dive in on is you know, your kind of perspectives on the outcomes of the report broadly. We'll allow the devil in the details stuff for people who download the full... Yes, absolutely. But mm-hmm. what are your high-level takeaways? Mm-hmm. What surprised you most? I guess we'll start there. What surprised you most? What
1: surprised me most? I've joked about this with some of my colleagues many times is that I was so shocked to see how much agreement we had between students and faculty. I think this may be the only time we ever see students and faculty agree so often. (laughs) What we did as part of the survey, like you mentioned, we had uh, close to 1,300 students, 300 faculty members who took the survey. And what we really saw and what surprised me the most is that across majors and non-majors, across students and faculty... Overall, there's a very, very positive perception of online labs and that they are equitable today to face-to-face labs, particularly if you use a hands-on format online. Like I mentioned, there's a number of different ways to approach taking laboratory courses online. You can do simulation only, you can do a hands-on only, or you can do that hybrid approach. And what we found is that faculty members and students both agree that with a hands-on format, whether it's hybrid or whether it's exclusively hands-on, that experience is really comparable to that in-person lab environment. In contrast, when we consider virtual labs, students find that they are comparable to on-campus, but faculty members don't. And that's really where we see the biggest difference between our two groups is that, that perception of the virtual format for labs, which is interesting. It's the most staggering difference in the entire survey But by and large, what we're seeing is that faculty and students find that having a hands on lab experience, whether that be with a mix of digital and hands on or just exclusively hands on, it's that hands on component that really makes the online lab a comparable modality to the in person lab on campus. And I I think, in a way, that shouldn't be a surprising result. You know, on campus, we're hands on, we're hands on exclusively. But to really see those numbers fall out consistently for students and instructors is amazing.
0: And, it, and it's interesting. I always draw parallels to COVID stuff back to the Coleman yeah. site because that's where I was. During yeah. the time. And who didn't like online programming or online events and programs were faculty and administrators because it wasn't the same as the in-person experience mm-hmm. where, you know, if I'm an admissions director giving a presentation to prospective students on campus... I can play to the crowd. I can make yeah. a joke and get feedback and response. Whereas if I'm doing it online, I'm kind of, I laugh at my own jokes, so I'm fine. But <laughs> many people, you know, that it's not as comfortable for them. So it's new. Yep. For, for there to be that disparity between the student perspective and the faculty perspective, there, mm-hmm. I, I'm not super shocked by it, but it's yep. sh- indicative of you kind know, of the way that faculties think about virtual content.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, as far as like, the key takeaways that people would be looking for in this study, I think there's obviously, there's a lot. It's a great report, very in-depth. Yeah. So, What are some of the key takeaways that you would say people should be thinking about? Let's focus on the faculty for a moment. Yeah, let's focus on thinking about.
1: Yeah. So for faculty members, there are a number of concerns that always come up whenever you start talking about bringing a laboratory course online. Quality is one that comes to mind off the bat. How do I make sure I maintain my on-campus quality? How do I know that my students are having a rigorous experience? If I move my course online, am I going to have to decrease the rigor of my course? The other thing that comes up, like I mentioned before, is cost considerations. You want to make sure that course that you're bringing online, if the student is having to purchase additional materials, is equitable to that on-campus course. And so one of the big takeaways was really trying to address the barriers to bringing laboratory courses online. And what we found was quality is a concern, maintaining that hands-on experience is a concern. But most instructors, I think we were around 70, 71% of instructors said that the hands on lab kits were comparable to that on campus experience. And just north of 70% of students agreed. When it came to quality, close to 90% of instructors said that the students had the opportunity to learn the knowledge and skills they needed to move on in their course of study with a hands on lab kit. And that was across both majors and non majors courses. Science is a little bit unique in that you do see a separation. Between majors courses and non majors courses, it's really the only dis- um, sort of study area where you see that. And so, to see that the majors courses, where it's really those hard sciences, felt that you can maintain that rigor online was incredible. And then, what we asked students was when it came to cost considerations, does the cost of it can't align with the quality and the value of the materials? And students agreed. Actually, they said seventy two percent of students said that the cost was aligned with the value of the materials. And so really what we found and one of the biggest takeaways is that a lot of those barriers that we consider as we bring a laboratory course online really don't need to be barriers. There are ways to overcome those barriers, particularly if you bring in that hands-on element that is hallmark of the campus course. So faculty don't need to worry about bringing that online because you can maintain that sort of campus environment and there are ways to bring in that community of scientists as you build the course.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and I think that there's something to be said about if we keep students at the forefront of all of our decision-making, yes. then these types of things are a no greener. And just like in any quote-unquote business, and we don't want to call higher in a business, but in any business, if you are meeting the needs of your customer, it's going to help your business grow. And there's the opportunity from an enrollment growth perspective, like you said, STEM careers on the rise. yes support the students pursuing those careers needs to keep pace with those opportunities. And this is one way to do it when, again, mentioned before, you don't have $25 million laid around to build a biology building, but you can still introduce these programs and create the opportunity for those students. Mm -hmm. that drives enrollment growth.
1: Absolutely. It's really about creating that opportunity for the students and not just for traditionally remote students. It's students who are living on campus today who are just tossing in an extra online course or two so that they can balance their schedule. They can have a job. They can take two courses that would normally overlap on campus. So we have to get out of the mindset that online students are non-traditional students. They're not. Our traditional students are moving towards that non-traditional format. And a really great resource is the CHLOE 8 Survey by Quality Matters. really goes in-depth into the trends in online education and differentiating between the traditional and non-traditional student and those moves online. Really recommend checking that out if you're interested in learning more about the overall trends.
0: You took the words out of my mouth (laughs) asking about quality matters. So for our our audience who might not be familiar, I know that one of the things that Science Interactive is very proud of, and this will be the cheap plug moment for Science Interactive, (laughs) is the curriculum that is certified by Quality Matters, right? And so I'll tie this back to, you mentioned the importance of quality for both students and instructors. And Quality Matters, heck, it's the name, is an indicator of that. For, for those who might not be familiar, maybe share a little about the importance of when somebody says that we're Quality Matters certified, mm-hmm. what does that mean and why does it matter?
1: Yeah. So Quality Matters is an organization that focuses on ensuring quality control in online courses. They work with the individual instructor, they work with institutions, and they also work with higher ed publishers like us. And what they've created is a rubric for individual courses and for publishers that really are looking at indicators of a quality online course. It's looking at learning objectives. It's looking at student support being built into the infrastructure of the course. It's looking for accessibility. Is this course going to be accessible to students who have disabilities? It's a 41-point rubric that is really, there are subject matter experts, both in instructional design and within the discipline, that go through, review the course with the rubric in mind, and make sure I believe you have to have hit at least 80% of all of those items need to be hit for the course to pass. And we're really proud this year, all 11 of the disciplines that we offer received that Quality Matter certification, indicated that quality is at the forefront of the design of these courses. And they're really designed with student success in mind.
0: Absolutely. And that's remarkable because, you know, those 11 disciplines represent over 450 labs. Is yep. that right?
1: Yep. 450 labs. And we're working with today over 600 institutions that are utilizing different combinations of those labs to support their online courses.
0: Crazy. Crazy. It's
1: crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how it's built just in the last eight years from yeah. when I started.
0: And it's all you. It's thanks to you. And um, you. Uh, <laughs> and uh,
2: it's so- my team. <laughs> <laughs> Grow your student community. Help them stay and encourage giving with Cadence. Higher Ed's premier engagement platform from Mongoose. Designed exclusively for higher ed by higher ed professionals, Cadence helps you engage your audiences with the perfect balance of AI and personal connection. Talk to students, parents, and alumni on their time and how they want. Empower your staff with integrated text and chat inboxes that gather all conversations in one place. Reach out to learn more about how our best in class service, support, and integrations have helped colleges and universities like yours have smarter conversations. From text to chat, make every message count.
0: So, I want to give you a chance to put your crystal ball out for a minute, right? And we talked about kind of the growth and the challenges during the pandemic and post pandemic. We understand student perspective and instructor and faculty perspective on kind of the role that online science education can play. What does your crystal ball say five, 10 years from now, where are we in this space? Is there still pushback? Is it a widely accepted thing? What does that look like from your perspective?
1: Yeah, yeah. When I think of online sciences from eight years ago when I started at this company, science labs were really the last frontier of online. There has always been this perception that you can't bring your science courses online, you can't recreate the lab. I think we see today, we have never seen more acceptance of online labs than we have today. And I think that's only going to grow. And I think a lot of that is going to come from faculty who really want to be the ones trailblazing for their institution. They want to be the one bringing that course online for the first time and really blazing the path to have a broader offering for their students, for making it a more equitable experience for students who are online, that they have an opportunity to pursue STEM careers. But it's also going to be from students, like we talked about before. Our traditional students who are normally on campus are moving to wanting to take a mix of online and on-campus courses. Now, that's not to say the campus lab is going to disappear. There are always going to be students who want to take that campus lab. They want to have the instructor right there, as they're doing the lab to sort of provide those supports, Mm -hmm. you can do that online, you can do that on campus, and it's really going to come down to how the student themselves perceives that they feel they learn best. But I think we're going to see a wider array of courses coming online within the sciences. There's still room to grow within just the basic science disciplines. There's really amazing things happening right now in nursing schools with VR and the use of virtual reality to bring clinical experiences to students. So I think we'll see VR grow, we'll see AR grow, we'll see hands-on grow. And we're going to see a mix of this building into a really comprehensive online laboratory experience for students, whether they're focusing on the basic sciences or within those healthcare tr- tracks.
0: And I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact that like the hands-on components and the in-person components are not going to go away. No. And it's no. going to be a part of it. And I think that's something that we always see when it comes to new technology, particularly in education, Mm -hmm. there's very little time when it's an either or. It's usually an A, right? And that's what you're talking about with this from an access perspective. I think the only time we get rid of the either or is when it's like micro sheet overhead projector versus... Oh, God. (laughs) Those are things that we stop doing one thing and start doing another. But when it comes to the modality of online education relative to the on-campus experience, there are places for both. And it's exactly. not like we don't, we don't want to not use our labs anymore, right? Like, No,
1: absolutely not.
0: What we're doing is expanding access.
1: And when you think about it, if you can bring your first-year courses online... That clears up more space to offer higher-level courses for your laboratories. It gives more students maybe the opportunity to come in and do research with their faculty because that lab space isn't taken up purely for classes anymore. There's still going to be those classes on campus, but it opens up access in ways that we don't even think about immediately. There's a lot that comes with having that ability to move those laboratory courses to different locations.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for your, your time. I know you're, like we said at the beginning, you're jet-setting in between conferences right now. Appreciate you, you hopping in to, to join the pod. Thank you
1: so much for having me. It's been wonderful.
0: Awesome. Kate, for those who might not know how to get in touch with you, what are some of the best ways to connect with you if they want to continue this conversation?
1: Yeah. So I am on LinkedIn. Kate Runny-Janzy, PhD is probably the easiest way to find me. And then through the Science Interactive website, you can reach me there.
0: Awesome. And for our podcast listeners, we'll put all of these details in our episode notes. So take note of that. So with that, we will say thank you one more time to Kate. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on FYI. Bye. <laughs>